Today's episode of the DNVR Nuggets podcast is brought to you by Total Beverage. You can check them out. The greatest deals in the state of Colorado on, on your liquor and alcohol, beer and wine. Um, check them out. Today I am joined live and in the flesh by one of my favorite people follows personalities and analysts in the basketball world. It's Danny LaRue. Thanks so much for having me. You're very excited to have you on here. Of course, if you're not familiar with Danny LaRue, you can catch his work at The Athletic, Dunked On Podcast, Dunked On Basketball Podcast, and The Real GM Podcast. Um, lots of good stuff. I'm going to link to all of that in the description of the show. Highly recommend, especially this time of year where he's doing um, you know, lots of preview type stuff, looking at the season. It's great to get a national perspective on what people are thinking of the Nuggets. And that's what we're going to get today, a national person's perspective on the Denver Nuggets and a national person's perspective on what I thought was kind of an ugly preseason game. Yeah, it, w- it, it really was. I mean, there was some sloppiness early on. Some, I mean, you know, Jokic's timing on his passes is usually unbelievable. There were a few little yeah. misconnections, and, that, and that's unusual. And, it, you know, it's preseason. You don't want to read too much into it. And then maybe the most interesting part of the game, other than Luke Beasley, which I'm sure we'll discuss, was the fourth quarter when it, the outcome doesn't matter. It's preseason, but we got to see, finally, 12 minutes of Michael Porter Jr. And what glorious minutes they were, (laughs) in my opinion. So, MPJ has now played, you saw the last game, MPJ has now played two games. And you had seen him before, right? Yeah. So, I I saw him play, actually the last really prominent thing he did was the Hoop Summit, I believe that was in 2017, might have been 2016. And he looked fantastic. He was the best player of the camp, stood out, and I was just, you know, on board with him potentially being the number one pick in the draft, and then what happened, happened. But... You know, you don't see all of that verve, all of that kind of dynamism, because he was so with the so dynamic with the ball in his hands then. But I think we saw more of his offensive game today, and you talked about it. We were watching live his cutting. He's an yeah. adept cutter, and Porter Jr. in the, in the Nuggets system, he needs to function off ball and on ball. And I think that he has shown more kind of the mental side of that because off ball, as you know. It, it is a lot about being aware, being active, being engaged, and being a smart cutter ties into yeah. all that. Well, and especially on this team, where I think being a smart cutter, you're going to have a role, and you're yeah. going to play, because Jokic is just... I, I mean, Well, unless you're Wancho or Gomez, in which case, you yeah. can't do <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah, as long as you don't get mono or tear your ab muscle, Wancho's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he's always doing something like that. But, no, his cutting, it's funny. I was really concerned about Michael Porter Jr., for the last year, outside of the injury, I've just been concerned that he was a Carmelo Anthony type player. He was a high volume shooter, seven dribble guy, mid range fall away guy. And I think from watching him, it's only been two preseason games, and it's not even been two preseason games, it's been like two and a half quarters. Um, but I haven't seen any of that from him. The shots he's taken in the mid range have not felt forced, and it looks like he's trying to find seams in the, you know, cutting angles and different things and fit within the in the flow of the offense and I gotta say he's done a good job of that I think through two games yeah I mean I cracked up because the first play of the third quarter that he the first touch that he had in the Portland game was basically a four shot but after that I think he's been a lot better and for a player in his first NBA touch I mean I understand that I'm yeah. never gonna never gonna criticize somebody for the, for taking that relishing that opportunity and also for me, Porter has been more engaged, not saying he's been dominant, but he's been more engaged defensively than I anticipated. Mm. And what this might be is a player, this is so exceedingly important, almost every NBA player is the best guy on their college team, their high school team, their yeah. middle school team, understanding that 
in order to get minutes on the Denver Nuggets in the 2019-20 season, he's going to have to be a team player. Yeah. He can't force those bad shots. He can't just not care on defense because the Nuggets have really good basketball players, and that can be a really good thing for a prodigious talent to understand that they're a cog in the machine. I always think back to O.J. Mayo for some reason with this, which is unfair, mm. and he's been doing everything else. Like, he never fully got... He never fully got engaged in that sort of a circumstance, and I, I mean, I saw him playing. I saw him playing college a lot, and it can be hard. And maybe for Porter, the injuries and everything else. I mean, the the, the hype that he reportedly gave himself yeah. last year. That maybe that maybe that's going to be a good thing for him. And going to the Nuggets, a team that was so immensely successful last year, it it makes it makes a player realize that they have to fit into the overall system that they are not the system. So you really find out how great your organizational stability is in terms in times of chaos, not necessarily times of like prosperity. And Denver has been on the upswing for the last four years, so it's been a. So I say all this with a reservation because we haven't seen Denver really hit that wall or hit that big piece of adversity yet. But I, I genuinely think that Denver has become the Spurs in, in, in a certain degree that they just have created this workmanlike attitude. They haven't brought any bums in. Um, they've made people earn it. I talked about this a while back, but Jokic d- did not start for a year and a half before he started, even though it was clear that he probably should have. Jamal Murray had to earn his spot. And I think with Michael Porter Jr., I think what you're sort of seeing is this This is the payoff now of that guys walk in. It's like, yeah, man, we heard. Yeah, you're great. You were the number one guy. Yeah, we, we heard all that. You're in the back of the line, and you'll have to cross. You'll have to jump every single person in line before you get that opportunity. And that can be a really good thing for players to buy in. And the biggest element that San Antonio got right was being successful because it's a yeah, lot easier. Right. It's a lot easier yeah. to do that to be the Spurs when 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 you have been an NBA champion, when you've been a consistently successful team. But another reason that it could work in Denver, and this might be a part of it, I just brought this up with Michael Porter, is depth. They mm-hmm. they have other yeah. options. Yeah. It is a lot easier to wield control over a player if you have credibility. And if you don't, then, I mean, he's going to be thinking about this in a different way. And having Wancho, having maybe Jared Vanderbilt, obviously having the starting spots really well spoken for, Jeremy Grant, there there are ways for Michael Malone and the, the management team to say, you need to play ball if you're going to get on the court here. And also for Porter, I mean, it, it's an interesting kind of chronology here because he missed his entire rookie year. Remember, he's he's going to be extension eligible sooner than you think, and so he's going to need an opportunity on the floor to kind of start establishing himself, and that's going to be this year. So extension eligible next, no, two summers from two now. Two summers yeah. from now. But if, let's say, this is a more limited season, just as he's working his way back and everything yeah. else, well then, you're, you're really looking at 20-21 as the year yeah. that he's going to be pushing, and so... Need to integrate, and I mean, also think about how this this Nuggets roster is going to be so interesting. With the, I, I'm in, still in my preseason preview mode. I'm writing a series for the Athletic, including, of course, one on the Nuggets about the decision that they have at starting power forward with Millsap, Grant, yeah. both or neither. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what Porter's position is going to be defensively, what his role is going to be, but you know, he could try to work his way into that conversation too. Where do you see so? And first of all, I have to put a caveat. Nobody hold us to these takes. We've seen 24 minutes of Michael right. Porter Jr. I mean, come on. But we are going to, I mean, let's analyze what we've seen so far. Where do you think he winds up playing 
what position uh, in his NBA career? I think that right now he's like most guys who are combo forwards. He's better defending power forwards than than mm. small forwards because the you know and and maybe if his back gets more comfortable, he looked a little bit looser tonight to me than he did in the Portland game. Maybe he can get there. I mean, I don't think you're going to want him on LeBron and Kawhi, but congratulations. Yeah, That's true of anybody. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm interested in, and theoretically Jeremy Grant is a very interesting guy to pair him with for this idea, is the the player who is good enough to guard the other team's worst option. So there are a bunch of different players at the guard positions who are like this. You know, That's the idea with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, for example, is... Steph Curry just has to be good enough to guard the other team's worst guard. He doesn't have to be good enough to guard the other team's best one. Yeah. And if Porter can get to that level with his offensive talent and then he buys in offensively, then he could do a lot. He, he brings a different element to this team. And the Nuggets have so much talent around him that you, you could maybe make it work. And that's something that, whether it's in the regular season or in these last few preseason games, that I would like to see because the preseason is a lab and nobody should be reading into this like, oh my God, player X is playing with player Y, he's in the starting lineup, right. yeah, of is course. give Michael Porter Jr. a few minutes, not starting the game, with the starters and just see what happens. And they can do that in scrimmages, they can do it against that, and I think people, oftentimes, it's something that I convey to listeners and readers all the time, you know, what we see in terms of public games is not all there is. There's, right, you know, there's practices right. and scrimmages. But playing against live NBA competition in a game with no stakes doesn't happen very often. Right. So get a chance. See what it is. And it's not that you he has five good minutes and then Michael Porter Jr. is the starter at the three. But I think it's worth experimenting with in this very limited time with no stakes. It's time to take a second to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You probably heard of the delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's favorite, the world-famous Avalanche Ale, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they are calling this a light-hearted Kolsch Ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, like myself... This is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. Um, and make sure you also look for the Breckenridge event calendar on thednvr.com. Some great stuff on the schedule, including some Nugget stuff coming up. You're going to want to pay attention. Some Nugget stuff coming soon to the calendar near you. I also want to tell you about Drift Car Sharing. Okay, who wants to make some money? Everyone. Everyone wants to make money. Well, here's the easiest way you can add a few bucks to the wallet. Denver's newest travel hack is here. Drift shares locally owned cars with incoming travelers at Denver Airport for a better experience than car rental. Skip the chaos to save on time and fees when you book. Or you can share your car to earn and park for free while you travel. Plus, there's no under 25 fee rule, so uh, it's perfect for friends coming to visit. Drift is great if you're going home for break and perfect for extended travel like a semester abroad. Allstate Insurance covers your car every trip and Drift cleans it inside and out. That's right, even if your car isn't rented out while you travel, Drift will still clean your car upon your arrival. Get all the info on drivedrift.com. That's drivedrift.com. One of the things that I've noticed with this Nuggets team, and Michael Porter Jr. is a big piece of this, they sh they're starting to have athletic combinations they can throw out there. 
And I've had this theory. Jonathan Jarks at The Ringer wrote a great article about maybe the best way to utilize Jokic is to throw a bunch of defensive athletes around him. Now, Michael Porter Jr. is not a defensive uh, ace, but I do wonder sometimes if you put Jokic with a bunch of really high athletic cutting and shooting guys, if that could be the, that's like the model to success for him. And now you have Jeremy Grant, super athlete, can shoot the three. Michael Porter Jr. looks like he's a very good cutter, can shoot the three. Malik Beasley, Gary Harris. There's lineups now you could throw out there that include Jokic that are going to be more athletic than the other teams. Right, and and I think an important part of the regular season and the playoffs is understanding that not every configuration is going to work in every situation, but it can work some of the time. Oh, right, yeah. And using that, I mean, a really interesting test case of this around the league this year is going to be all these teams that are going that are going just really small at either small forward or going really big at power forward. So the Portland Trailblazers are a great example of this because they're doing both. Rodney Hood is a natural two. He's going to be playing small forward for them. And Zach Collins is a center, and he's going to be playing power forward. So you might not be able to do that every night against everybody, but you try it out, and if it works, it works. And yeah. I like that the Nuggets, I talked about, I've said how deep they are a couple times already, but one of the elements of their depth that I really like, which is not true of every team, it is incidentally true of the Clippers when they're healthy, is that you can put them together in different combinations that feel fundamentally different. It's not two guys that do the same thing, right. and so you're just swapping, hot-swapping one guy right. in, one guy out. No, you can make a team with Jared Vanderbilt or Wancho or Malik Beasley that fundamentally is different, and they're not going to work every night. They're not going to work against every opponent, but... That those sorts of combinations can be really effective, and they can work well in lineups against inferior opposition because there will be lineups that again that other teams will throw out there that they just don't have the horses. Do you think that puts Malone in a bit of a? a I think he's in a tough spot for a couple different reasons. He's in an easy spot too, because he has a very good team. But do you think he's in a tough spot because he has to use the regular season now to learn these lineup combinations? Yes and no. I, I think that. You have enough time. 82 games is a lot. It's yeah. not, you know, a 16-game NFL season where if you haven't figured something out by week 10, then you're just – it's going to be a lot harder to integrate it. Basketball season is long enough, and unfortunately, just the fact of life is there are injuries. Yeah. So you get you get the laboratory time whether you want it or not. Okay. And so I think that will work out reasonably well. The bigger challenge that Malone has to deal with for me is when they're healthier – just making sure that everybody's happy, making sure that they're getting their mouths to feed. And winning is a great disinfectant. I mean, I, I'm closest geographically to the Golden State Warriors. I can tell you that that has made things easier. You know, if you're <laughs> playing fewer minutes than you think, but you're on a potential championship team, guys don't grouse as much. Yeah. Still do sometimes, but they don't right. as much. And so I think that could lead to some of these being working out a little bit better. And, and also, I mean, the Nuggets properly paying a lot of their guys, you know, like, so if Mason Plumlee's not playing as much, well, he's still making a bunch of money. Yeah, it is, that is a huge piece of this, right, because I've been so impressed with Mason Plumlee's sort of acceptance of his role, but as you mentioned, he's like the fourth highest paid player on the team, so it's yeah. easy to... Yeah, and I mean, how many backup centers are making over $10 million a year, and un unambiguous backup centers, you know, right. like, Jokic is, Jokic is the alpha and the omega, as he should right, be. Right, right. Um, I want to talk about Jeremy Grant, and just first, because I don't know if I can't... How much we've talked about this, but just in a vacuum, are you high on Jeremy Grant as a player, and what's what's sort of your read about his uh, trajectory as a player throughout his career? 
I'm going forward from this point. So, bro- broadly speaking, I've been lower on him than most people throughout his career, and that's more just I've never been a big fan of the jumping jacks, but he's really added some depth to his game over mm-hmm. the last couple years. I'm very interested in the defensive fit with Jokic because Grant is he's an athletic guy, he's more of like can be a good weak side protector, but he's he has different defensive strengths and weaknesses than Paul Millsap. And that is not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It just depends on how it is applied. Mm-hmm. And that's really, to me, the story of the Nuggets season, other than their overall success in the postseason, is how are those two fits? Is is Grant, does uh, defensively, offensively, how does he work within that? Offensively, I think the fit's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Grant's an active player. He's a more To me, he's a more confident shooter, though Millsap was more confident in his jump shot today than I've probably ever seen from La- him. Last game as well. Yeah, that's true. Although he was two of five, I felt like he was better than two of five. But he, but he was, but I mean, a, a big thing to look at in the preseason for a player. I mean, we saw Stephen Adams hitting a corner three a couple days ago. <laughs> is how, how much hesitation and what is the context? So if they're taking those shots with no hesitation, then that means they think it's going in, and oftentimes that means they have the support of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So that's worth watching. And Grant, so fast, such an active cutter. I think that he will work beautifully in the Nuggets system. And so, to me, if the defensive fit works, then you probably have things lined up. And the other part that makes Grant really interesting, if the defensive fit works, I think of him as more of a power forward defensively. But if you can slide him, because he's if you can slide him to guard some threes, then maybe the Michael Porter stuff starts coming into play. Or, this is something I try to focus on in terms of team building, you can just look for a different type of forward, even if it's not Michael Porter. Maybe then you you don't have to look for a traditional three, six foot seven guy who does X, Y, and Z. You could say, who is the best player we can get from six foot seven to six foot ten? And whatever they do well, if they're good enough, we can make it work. Yeah. I could see I'm I'm higher on Grant than you are, I think. Last year I did a power four rankings and I can't remember where he came in, but it was like fifteenth or sixth. It was really ridiculously high given where he was, and I think by the end of the year he might have been there. Yeah, he, he had a he had a really nice close to the year, and Oklahoma City was a challenging one in terms of figuring out who gets the credit for their defense. I think too many people gave credit to Russell Westbrook. I think that <laughs> there was probably too little given to Stephen Adams and some of the overall scheme stuff. But Grant did a really good job, and something you look for, and that's part of what will make this season so interesting is. A player who is consistently a part of successful defenses and and is obviously a contributor to it. You know, it's not just the hanger-on who's like the two-guard who just is on those lineups. And Grant could be that type of player where he makes shots harder for other guys and he obviously has the shot-blocking prowess too. So yeah, I'm really excited to see his fit with this team and the contractual stuff with Millsap definitely being a free agent, Grant probably being one. The, The Nuggets and those two players have a lot to decide. Speaking of tough decisions, Malik Beasley was phenomenal Oof. tonight. I think this is two games in a row now. Beasley's been really good, and word on the street was that he came in really, really light, um, and more as in like what the weight you would be at the midpoint of the season. And he looks just like explosive. Uh, his sh- he looks confident. He looks yeah. determined tonight. Six of eight from the field, sixteen points. That was a team high. He had six rebounds, two assists, including a really, really, really nice drop off in the pick and roll. I'm I'm really impre- impressed with Beasley. Uh, what did you think of him tonight? His confidence shooting was re- yeah. was really the important part of that. He also had had a couple of pretty good passes. Like he had that drop off that I really liked, and it's a reminder of how much players develop and grow over the course of their careers. And 
you don't want to think about a player in their second year and that's all they're ever going to be. And so if Malik can turn into a more complete offensive player, a more confident offensive player, then maybe some of the defensive foibles aren't as big of a deal. And also, there's always a place for dynamic guards in the league. And the Nuggets are fortunate that they have two quality starting guards right now, but there will be times, as we've seen, that one of those guys can get hurt. And, you know, and and as I talked about the idea of going small and playing smaller guys at the three sometimes— I, I mean, I don't think Beasley has the has the heft to be a to be a three. But if the other team's playing a small guy too, then you're not being hurt as much. Yeah. All right, let's go to break. We wrap up. I do want to talk a little bit. I'd be it would be a shame. Danny's a, a, a expert with the salary cap and just kind of projecting where people where teams are flexible, vulnerable, and so forth. And I'm curious to hear his thoughts on Denver going forward. We'll go there next. Hey, Denver listeners, we're excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Caft Coffee is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code DNVR20 at checkout and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. This is how great it is. So check out Strava Craft Coffee and, and use the promo code DNVR20. Back here with Danny LaRue, read him at The Athletic, listen to him on Dunked On and Real GM Podcast. All three of those things, fantastic, uh, really, really good stuff, not just from him, but from everybody he collaborates with uh, at those places. Danny, now I want to ask you about the Nuggets going forward. We just did this thing at DNVR, We Don't Skip Steps, which has been the unofficial motto. It hasn't caught on like Trust the Process has, maybe, outside of Denver. Um, But it's been this thing about Denver... They've wanted to build from within and develop their talent. And the way the NBA works now, Denver has done that as well as anybody has in the last decade. But there's this thing where you have to do that quick enough to win a title before you can't afford your own guys. Denver might be at that point right now. Yeah, they might be. And, I mean, you're going to see Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jeremy Grant, probably all of those guys, if they are retained, they will get a significant pay raise off of where they were last year. And... The number, so if we're thinking about the 2020 offseason, mm-hmm. the number that I think is big for Nuggets fans to have in the back of their mind is $39 million. So what $39 million is... That's it's a, assuming China, this China situation. Yes, yes, that's, uh, that's, assume, that's assuming the cap number stays at the, at the current projection. Can I ask, can I interject here to say, I don't want to get into the weeds of that, but if the salary cap was to lower by 15% or whatever it was projected, what would happen? I mean, there's so many teams that would just never be able to fit that. Well, the NBA has it's it's actually a lot more practical in the NBA because there's a soft cap, so it would mean more teams would be butting up against the luxury tax. It would mean mm. all of those circumstances. But the system is designed to handle that. It's not okay. like the NFL where it's it's a hard cap system. So if it dropped fifteen percent, teams' obligations would become a big problem. But the NBA they design it so you can retain your own players. It just might get more expensive. Okay, sorry, yeah. to no, sorry, no, sorry. no worries. So thirty nine okay. million. Thirty nine million. So what that thirty nine million is is if you take all of the money that they already have on their books, including the projected extension for Jamal Murray, they would have $39 million to spend on retentions and additions, 
without going over the luxury tax. So yeah. if you want to think about it, you could split that $39 million, draft picks, minimum guys, but also whoever they want to retain of Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Wancho, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, whoever else, and fortunately Monty Morris and... Vanderbilt, those guys are under contract if they want to keep them, so that's easier. They're at, minim- they're at the minimum. The big ones you're looking at are Malik Beasley, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap. Yep. Um, I, I mean, Plumlee, this is almost certainly the last year with Denver, which makes Seems sense. that way. Um, and everybody else, I think, is a little bit... So, Wancho probably third on that list, almost certainly. Beasley and Grant, i got to think that Denver would really like to try to bring those guys back. I agree with you, and... Maybe they're willing to do, you know, one or two years in the tax, get into something like that. I mean, and or maybe they could move Will Barton. Like, maybe that's a way to make it work. But also, do you think he's movable? Yeah. I mean, anybody's movable. But I mean, he, so a way that, that uh, my podcast partner, Nate Duncan, likes to talk about is how underwater is a contract. So maybe Will Barton's not a $14 million a year player. Maybe he's a $10 million a year player. Well, $5 million underwater, $4 million. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Teams do that all the time. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, like Alan Crabb was significantly more underwater than that, and he got traded. They have to give up assets. But, and, and again, that's really on the margins if you really need it to, to make it work. And remember that teams do not need to be under the luxury tax, assuming that's a constraint. They don't need to be under it at the start of a season. They just right. have to be under it by the end of the season. Right. So you can even have a circumstance where, and Miami's done this recently, a bunch of teams have, where you go through the season and then you just kind of see where things break. Houston, I think, dabbled in that a couple years ago. And that might be a way to make it work. But also, it might just sort itself out. I, I like Malik Beasley, you know, like, as it, conceptually, I wonder, you know, if he's an, if he's not a starter, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit less valuable. But usually, unless a team just falls in love with that type of player, he's not going to get this exorbitant... Like, I don't think a team's going to give him, like, crazy, like, starter money right now. This season could change that, obviously. And that would be a great circumstance for the Nuggets. If he plays well enough to get a $15 million a year contract, awesome. That yeah. means he was great. and Or somebody made a horrendous mistake. <laughs> and Or both. And um, I think he might be in that range. Maybe. I mean, if a team sees him as a starter, and $13 th- million there's, this, there's this unusual thing with shooting guards right now. This has come up in the Bradley Beal trade discussions a couple times, where... Shooting guards are scarce, mm-hmm. and good ones are really valuable, but, like, less really good ones aren't super valuable. You know, like, the margin over replacement, it's it's larger than center because there are a million centers, but it's not that much despite how scarce the position is. So I think I'm lower on those type of players than the average GM, but it's an interesting question. But then, so that $39 million, that's being split a couple of different ways, but the most important thing is the power forward of the present and future. That does, to me, speak to the idea that depending on pay cuts and everything like that, that they're probably going to want to choose one of Grant and Millsap because, I mean, both those guys are successful. Both of them want to be starters in the league. And remember that if Grant opts out, they're both unrestricted free agents, which means that they can do whatever they want. They have a lot of control. So that would be my instinct is you keep whichever one of those you can get, and then you re-sign whichever of the restricted guys. Hopefully the market just thins out play hardball, can get... I mean, it'd be great if they could get Wancho back, too. And then maybe, just maybe, they would have enough flexibility to use the mid-level exception, but it will depend. You know, yeah. we, we don't know that yet. What do you think, Jeremy Grant... I mean, it's hard to know because it's such a big year for him, getting out yeah. of that OKC situation. He could really, really shine. But if you were just to guess, what would you guess he was, he's worth in the offseason? 
It is a challenging question. Uh, in the modern cap structure, I've been trying to figure out like what solid starter money is, and usually oh, okay. I've yeah. been saying that somewhere between sixteen and eighteen million for season. So if he's better than that, then we're talking maybe twenty. But I think it's more in the 18, 18 range. And a big benefit for the Nuggets this coming season, I, I just wrote a piece about this at The Athletic, actually, and I'm working on a series more, about how there are not that many teams that have a lot of cap space. Now, the problem for the Nuggets is that a couple of them, like the Hawks, might be interested in Grant, and yeah. you don't need many teams to make to drive up a market. Atlanta, by the way, Beasley comes from Atlanta, so they're... Yeah, they're, there's that but they but they too. don't need it too as much if they like Herder. Mm. But maybe you know maybe Travis Schlank wants that direction. But really, off the top of my head, I believe there are only six teams that currently are projected to like probably have more than twenty million in space. And okay. there are a few other ones that are kind of in, that could get there or in the fringes of that. And that's a good kind of proxy for who's going to really be spending out there. And a couple of those teams probably aren't going to be looking for power forwards. A couple of those teams are just going to be looking even younger than Jeremy Grant just because right. like the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> they're a long they're a long way away yeah, probably. Yeah. So, if you're, you know, with John Morant, you know, I think he's 19 or 20 and Jaron is 20. So, they might not be looking even if they are looking for a power forward, which we don't know. They could go there. So, and it won't take many teams not being interested, you know, to thin out the market enough that they can get him at a more reasonable price. It would be a huge L for Denver to miss out on Jeremy Grant. I mean, obviously, if it just doesn't work out and he's not good here in Denver, then you, you cut your loss. Sure. But assuming, as I think most people do, that he'll at least be solid, like it, you called him a solid starter, Denver, I think, brought him in. He's such a Denver guy. I mean, yeah. he fits the culture. He fits the personality. He fits the style. Um, so I suspect. So let's just pencil him in then at the moment at $18 million. So that'd be like four years, 72? Is that... I do my math right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Something like that. Okay, so something there. But that leaves basically half your cap space available mm-hmm. for Malik Beasley, Paul Millsap. Do you think there's anything to the fact that Denver just paid Paul Millsap $90 million over three years? Yes. And, I mean, if he likes, he had a connection to the area. I remember when Kale Chouinard told me that on Real GM Radio, and I went, oh my god, I didn't know he spent time in Denver growing up, and like there, that there was a connection with that. And maybe the opportunity that he wants isn't anywhere else, so then it's be a part of the team that you've been there, and he would could obviously be a part of the rotation and, and yeah. be very popular. So, yeah, it's a, it's a possibility. I think it's a little less likely just because he's a talented player, and you never... you The, the general shorthand that I use is never anticipate a pay cut, Yeah, yeah. but it can happen. Or never expect one... Yeah, that, that works. He would be on like a two year deal though, right? I don't think anybody's offering him. He's thirty four. Right. Think, so. Yeah. So so maybe maybe he's in that circumstance. Marcus Soul might be here this this year as well, where it's just how much does three to four million really matter to them? Yeah. Does it does it mean especially if they have to move and everything else and if, yeah. maybe that maybe that leads to it. So it's a possibility. The more interesting one for me in some ways is Wancho. I mean, I think what my theory of what's gonna happen and it will frustrate me as a non-Nuggets partisan and Wancho partisan <laughs> that he is exactly the type of player that gets burned in restricted free agency. Because yeah. you need, basically, restricted free agents, are if you're an agent for them, you need somebody to fall in love with your guy. That's yeah. the way that it works. The way you, you get an auto porter offer sheet. Get oh, right. get that sort of thing. But like, and for example, like that's why Marcus Smart languished on the vine. Also because nobody had money that year. But... Just nobody loved him. No, he wasn't. Everybody liked him. Nobody, everybody loved, everybody loved, him. loved him. And that's where you get into problems. I mean, D'Angelo Russell kind of got saved by the Warriors for this reason, or Minnesota probably would have done it. But 
you need you need that in order to really get your value. Otherwise, you just wait. And if teams don't have money for you, then you kind of get hurt. And I could see him not wanting to come back to the Nuggets necessarily, depending on how the season goes. I hope he plays a lot. I love him. But you can see that sort of a circumstance happen where he the market just comes to Denver and they just say, fine, we'll match. I, I really hope he stays here. I'm such a big fan. I thought he was great tonight. I actually really enjoyed the Wancho minutes that I saw. Defensively, some lapses. He didn't sure. knock down his shots, one of four from the three-point line. But the shooting thing, with shooters, I don't think you can look at it and go, one for four, come on, man. It's just it's shooting. It's a yeah. preseason. If he goes three for four, you're like, oh, what a game. Well, and, ex- and exactly. And, I mean, there is an important element of, like, let's say it's a 35% shooter. Going one for four for them is not anomalous. Exactly. That that is a yeah. thing that happens, uh. and they'll have nights where they go two for four and and everything else. And the biggest part of sh- for shooters is making sure that they do it enough that the defense respects them. And it can be a nebulous, intangible, but you see it in the way that a player is defended. And the other part, one hundred percent agree. First of all, I just want to hammer that part home because people always ask me this about Tory Craig, like, oh, what if he shoots thirty eight percent? I say they still won't guard him. Yeah, and he's not like tall, so you don't you feel like you can close out. I if you ever if you ever want to get a good example of that, watch the way teams defend Justice Winslow. And oh, yeah, right. you could you could point to us point to Basketball Reference and say, hey, he shot I think it was thirty nine percent last year, might have been forty one, but he's such a reluctant shooter, and also he's better as a driver. So you you play the other parts of his game, and that's really like I mean, basketball as amazing as it is, sometimes what it comes down to is. When a player sees you out of the corner of their eye, does you being open for a shot scare them more than anything else? Right. And that can be an outdated thing. It can be like, oh my God, he made five threes on me four years ago, so I'm going (laughs) to get out to him. it, It can be something like that, but especially for reluctant shooters, it becomes a problem. And the other thing with Wancho, talking about the rotation, if you think about the forward minutes as kind of an ecosystem, so 48 plus 48... There might be an opportunity for him moving forward. Just if if they end up resolving the power forward situation by going with one of those, even if Michael Porter earns a large portion, depending on what happens with Will Barton, depending on what happens with Tory Craig, like there could be something in the offing there. And you and I both like Jared Vanderbilt, but there could be an opportunity there, even when healthy. And then when somebody gets hurt, then then you have even more. And depth is incredibly valuable in the regular season, and then players with upside, as you and I both believe Wancho has, they're valuable too because then you can find something that can can unlock new parts of your team. I really love Wancho. I, I, I guess I'll ask you this because I don't want to I don't want to lead you into this question, but there are four players vying for two small forward positions. At this very moment, if you were Michael Malone, how would you divvy up those minutes? Starter, how many minutes? Bench, how many minutes? And who gets them? I would. So first of all, I think the the closer is is in many ways the most important, yeah. and that's also what I'm least confident in. I might consider closing with Grant and Millsap playing together, oh, and wow. just 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 going going with going it big. and seeing yeah. seeing how it works. Uh, and and also, I would not play any of them quote unquote starter minutes right now because I don't think any of them have earned it. I would say so. Like maybe Will Barton starts, yeah. but I wouldn't play more than twenty two to twenty four minutes because okay. he's not that much better than the other guys. Right. So you give them opportunities. I really like Wancho. Um, I would give Porter an opportunity as well. And then, as I, I alluded to it earlier, 
I would give if you want to try Beasley there like a few minutes a game. Just yeah. go go Energizer Bunny, go a little bit smaller. Carlisle's done it for years. Beasley minutes would be so fun, and I think probably the most impactful in the regular season. Yeah. I do think it would come back to bite you in the postseason. Oh yeah, but you you cross that bridge when you get to it. Okay. And, and I think that they need to Malone. One of the most important things that he needs to do this season is figure out what works and what doesn't, and can this guy do that? And so the the first couple months, because like now. It's the luxury, and it's funny. I've been, you know, I've, as I said, I've been based in the Bay Area. That when once your team is good enough that you're not worried about making it into the playoffs as much, then you can start to see the regular season differently, where you're not scrapping and clawing and scrounging for every single win, even right. though they can be important for seeding. No team knows that better than the Denver Nuggets. Right. But it it is it is important to make sure that you're looking at the long game and the short game, and that knowing whether you can play Malik Beasley small at the three, knowing whether you can play Grant and Millsap together either as the forwards or as the four and the five. Those are really important things to know, and it's important to get a good idea of it, let's say, in the first two months of the season because then later on you'll already know. You won't have to, you know, oh, crap, player X gets hurt, and we need to try this out. We've never done it before. And the regular season as a laboratory is it's growing in, in stature around the league. I think Nick Nurse did a wonderful job of that last year. A lot of, and I mean that's not why the Raptors won the championship, but it helped. And I would love to see Mike Malone fully embrace that with such a deep, talented, and uncertain roster. Mm. Real quickly before we get out of here, a couple other notes. I thought Jamal Murray was if you did, if you missed the game, which most people did because you had to find an illegal stream online. Um, Jamal Murray, I thought, was really, really bad. This now makes back-to-back preseason games where he was really bad. Four of seven from the field. Did not attempt a three-pointer. So he has not made a three-pointer in two preseason games. I, I say on a scale of one to ten, you can never go past a one on the concern scale for preseason, but I'm at up to a one, so I'm at my limit with him. Again, that doesn't mean I'm very concerned, but it's two games where I just thought... What he's been trying to do on the offensive end has been a little a little puzzling, but um, so not a great great game from him. Will Barton three of eleven, not really a fantastic game from him, but I will say he did have a couple plays where he just attacked the basket and finished contorting his body. And even though the numbers three for eleven are bad, and the game overall from him I thought was not good, but I am. It is nice to look at him and say he's getting to the rim and he's showing off some of the athleticism that was gone over the last few years. I mentioned Wancho. He was a team high plus 30. He had eight points. I thought he did a lot of things really, really nicely. Wancho's just such a good fifth guy. He makes the other guys on the court more comfortable in what they're trying to do. Um, and then lastly, the other person worth note, uh, making note of, Monte Morris, who played 17 minutes, had nine points, three assists, just very, very solid um, as as can be expected from Monte. I mean, it's almost a surprise at this point when he's not solid on the court. But he had some plays that really popped. And Tory Craig, DNP coach's decision tonight. Read into that what you will. I suspect that we will probably get a DNP night from either Wancho or Barton at some point. Um, so maybe this was just Craig's turn to not get in the rotation. But it was at least noteworthy that, that he did not play tonight. So um, That's it for this week, guys. It was a very, very fun week over at the DNVR.com. We had some really great stuff. At least I think it was some great stuff. I did my first deep dive of game one. I'll probably have another one up on the site uh, tomorrow on, uh, on Friday. Some video clips of just things that stood out to me when I rewatched this game tomorrow. 
Um, we had some great podcasts all week. We have some great merchandise. We Don't Skip Steps, a beautiful design from D-Line Co., the best artist, sports artist in all of Denver. We also launched our merch line, five different DNVR shirts, a bunch of different hats. You're going to want to check that out as well. Um, and then continued our video series, The Explainers. Uh, did a bowl bowl explainer where I explained what happens, how a two-way contract works and what you can expect out of bowl bowl. Some cool motion graphics to help tell that story, so you're going to want to check it out. Thanks, everybody for tuning in all week. Have a great weekend and we will be back again on Monday with brand new content. We'll see you then.